to the Heiress of Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Micaela, your host. Welcome to episode 51. Today I'm going to be discussing the second half of chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, The Marauder's Map. In last week's episode, I discussed the first half of chapter 10, and I decided to split it up into two episodes because there's just so much to explain and discuss and get into, so I wanted to make sure I just did two episodes instead of one super long one. So, split it up into two, and I'm excited. This is a super good chapter. I mean, the first half was great, and the second half is really good too. So, before I do that, I do have a little bit of Harry Potter news, like Wizarding World news, and basically... It was just announced that Magic Awakened is launching this summer. And it's a mobile game. It's um, like kind of like from China, from Portkey Games. And it's, it's pretty popular amongst fans. Um, it's one of the fun games that you can do. Of course, it's Hogwarts Legacy was released this year. Um, so this is another fun game that's released in 2023 for Harry Potter fans or really just anyone who likes to play games. A lot of people really do like this game. Um, and it's going to be available worldwide. You can pre-register now. Basically, you're going to be a young witch or wizard who's starting off school at Hogwarts, and you can customize your character. Um, they get to explore the Wizarding World. They get to explore Hogwarts, like, you know, get their house, get um, Diagon Alley supplies, like all of the stuff you do. Dueling Club, they have like all of these little activities and things you can do on your journey to becoming a witch and wizard and everything and it's apparently there's supposed to be like an intriguing story behind it like throughout the game and as you gather all your magical knowledge and you can meet some familiar faces so who knows maybe some professors and things like that and then you also meet some new ones so that's like a game that's coming out soon this summer sometime. I don't know the exact date. It wasn't really announced, um, but you can pre-order. And there's also going to be another upcoming game. I don't know if it's this summer, but it is supposed to be this year. And it's a Quidditch Champions game. That was announced in April. It is May when I'm recording this. So it was announced a few weeks ago. But yeah, a few fun games coming out. And of course, Hogwarts Legacy is fun and that's out right now too. So that's pretty much all the news I have. And before I get into the summary, I want to remind everybody that you can email me at there's the Slytherin podcast at gmail.com. Twitter is at Slytherin pod. Facebook page is there's a Slytherin podcast. This podcast is available on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Anchor, and Pocket Casts. And you can leave a voice message or donation in the Anchor link, as well as listen to the podcast on that platform. This is the first time I'm splitting up a chapter into two episodes. It will definitely not be the last because some of these chapters, like in all the books from here on out, just have so much information and there's so much to unpack. So it's super fun. But this is the first time I'm doing it into two parts. I'm splitting it up. So I'm excited. Um, I kind of wanted to keep it where chapter 10 was only episode 50 because it was lining up pretty nicely. Like chapter 9 was episode 49, chapter 8 was episode 48, you know, but it's okay. Maybe I'll get back into that rhythm of like the corresponding numbers for the episode titles and stuff, but I'm still fine with splitting this up because there's just so much to unpack. So 
last episode talking about the first half of Marauder's Map. Just a little refresher on what happened in that first chapter. Harry had just lost his Nimbus 2000 to the Whomping Willow during that Quidditch game. It was his first Quidditch loss, so he was feeling pretty down. He got some visitors in the hospital wing, though. He was there for the rest of the, that weekend, so that Saturday and Sunday. Back in defense against the Dark Arts, Lupin is back, and he allows the students to not have to turn in their essay on werewolves that Professor Snape assigned when he was filling in for Lupin. Harry also gets a little bit of an answer from Lupin. He explains that Dementors affect Harry the way they do because of the horrors that he's been through, the sorrow that he's experienced, and he also says that he will teach Harry how to defend Dementors, like he'll teach him what he knows. Of course, after the holidays, he's still kind of ill. He needs to recover a little bit, let his body recuperate. So after the holidays, he will teach Harry how to do that. And yep, it's Christmas time, term is over, and there is another Hogsmeade trip that Harry cannot go to because he didn't get the permission slip signed like way back when in like September or August from his aunt and uncle. On the morning of the Hogsmeade trip when all the students had already left, except for Fred and George, they tell Harry that they have a little bit of festive cheer for him. And it is the Marauder's map. And it's a map that they stole from Filch's office in their first year and I got into that like so much on the backstory on there because it was a lot and it was so fun to discuss that. And that's part of the reason why last episode like was longer because I needed to get into the Marauders and everything. But basically in summary, it is a map that shows, it's a map of Hogwarts. It shows what everyone is doing, where they're, where they're at, where they're moving to. It shows the secret passageways. And that is important because that is what Harry is going to use. And they also tell Harry how to use it, um, mischief manage, like there's ways to wipe it clear, which is mischief manage, otherwise anyone can read it. And then Harry, you know, takes their advice, he uses the map, and he ends up in Honeydukes. That's where the secret passage of the One-Eyed Witch, that's where it takes him. And he goes up into Honeydukes, and he's the whole store shop it's a candy shop it's crowded with Hogwarts students so he doesn't look out of place or anything like that and he sees Ron and Hermione in there and he kind of sneaks up on them there's a little surprise to them and eventually Hermione's like okay fine you need to be careful though because she's concerned about Sirius Black and Harry and Ron know that she's not going to report him but she is concerned for his well-being either way Harry is staying in Hogsmeade for the remainder of this little trip they get their candies and they head out into the snow. And I love the description. Hogsmeade looked like a Christmas card. The little thatched cottages and shops were all covered in a layer of crisp snow. There were holly wreaths on the doors and strings of enchanted candles hanging on the trees. So I, I love Christmas and I love winter. It's so pretty. So I love this description of what it looks like and how it looks like a Christmas card. And it's cold, of course, it's winter. There's snow everywhere. It's, it's pretty freezing. There's wind. Harry doesn't have his cloak. Like, he doesn't have any source of warmth. And I did mention this last episode. Like, I wonder if Harry could have just gone and gotten, like, a jacket or a coat or whatever before he went through their secret passage. But you don't always think things through, and that's the case for Harry sometimes. The trio decides to go into the three broomsticks so they can have their butter beers and get warm away from that harsh wind outside. 
And Ron offers to get them because he sees Madame Rose Murda. And she basically is like the owner of the three broomsticks and she owns the pub and everything. And Ron thinks she's pretty. So he's like, yeah, sure. I'll go get the broom, the butter beers. So they're in there and they kind of sit at a small table, like towards the back, which is by a Christmas tree fireplace. Like it's really nice and they have their hot butter beer. So I'm sure it's just the nicest feeling. And Harry loves the butter beer. It's the most delicious thing he'd ever tasted. And he feels the heat, like it warms him up from the inside, like inside out. So the trio is there enjoying their Christmassy environment and their butter beers. Then suddenly McGonagall, Flitwick, Hagrid, and Fudge all walk in. Remember Fudge is the minister of magic that Harry saw at the beginning of this book. And he was shocked that Fudge wasn't expelling or arresting him because he used magic outside of school on his aunt. So instantly, Ron and Hermione, like, force Harry underneath the table. They, like, push him underneath because Harry's not supposed to be there. And I think it's so funny, like, at the same time, they, like, both of them, Ron and Hermione, put their hands on Harry's head and they literally push him underneath the table. And his butterbeard's, like, it's just spilled and he has his empty, like, tankard he's holding now and because it's underneath the table. And Hermione uses the spell, Mobili Arbus. And this moves the Christmas tree that was near their table, like in front of them. So it's hiding the trio or mostly Ron and Hermione from sight because the teachers and Fudge decide to sit at the table literally right next to theirs. And it's not like it was a conscious decision. It was they wanted to go in the back, you know, where they thought it was a little bit more empty, a little more secluded. And that is why (laughs) they're at the table right next to theirs. But it's, you know, not great for the trio right now because they don't want to get caught. And by they don't want to get caught, I'm not that they can't be in the bar. They can. I just mean Harry. Harry is not supposed to be in Hogsmeade right now. He will be in big trouble. And Ron and Hermione will be in trouble too, you know, because he's not supposed to be there and they know that. So that's why they're hiding. They're mainly hiding Harry. And it comes in handy for this conversation they're about to hear. And I like how we know what drinks they ordered. So McGonagall ordered a small gilly water. Hagrid ordered four pints of mulled mead. Professor Flitwick ordered a cherry syrup and soda with ice and umbrella. And that sounds like the best one to me. That sounds delicious. I would totally order that. And Fudge ordered a red currant rum. So Madame Rosemurder brings all their drinks to this table. And Fudge tells her, nice to see you again. Like, go ahead. Like, join us. Sit down. And the trio is getting nervous because they don't know how long they're going to be there for. Like, their hearts are beating really fast because he has to be able to still sneak away and be at the castle by the time everybody comes back. Like he needs time to do that, to return to school on time. So he's, he's nervous and he feels Hermione's nervous because her leg keeps switching and wrong. Like they're, they're kind of getting worried right now. And Harry, he's thinking like, why didn't it occur to me? Like it's the last weekend of term for the teachers too. So basically they, they know it's going to be bad if he gets caught. So they're getting nervous. Also something to add the teachers plus Fudge and Random Rose Marta that's there, they're about to have this conversation here and it's really not the place to have this conversation. If this conversation needs to be had, it should be at school. It should be in someone's office. It shouldn't be here in a, in a bar, in a pub when anyone could be like 
hiding or using magical means to listen to them, right? And Ron, Harry, and Hermione, they're not really using magic to hide. They're kind of hiding there. I mean, Hermione moved the Christmas tree, but seriously, like, there's not much security right there in that area. So to have this conversation out in the open, you know, not the best idea, but it's the holidays. They're letting loose, you know, they're just kind of doing whatever they want, I guess, the teachers. So Madame Rosmerda asks Fudge, what brings you here? And he tells her, like, I'm sure you heard about what happened up at the castle on Halloween at Hogwarts with Sirius Black. Remember, Sirius Black tried to break into Gryffindor Tower. And Madame Rosmerda says that she heard a rumor. And right away, McGonagall tells Hagrid, did you tell the whole pub? Like, Hagrid's a frequent customer there, and it's possible that he did let slip about that. So McGonagall's upset about him with that. And Madame Rosmerta asks if Black is still in the area. And Fudge, right away, like, I'm sure of it. I'm, I'm sure he's still in this area. And Madame Rosmerta tells him, like, well, you know the Dementors have searched my pub twice. Like, it scared all my customers away. It's really bad for business. And he tells her, like, I'm sorry. I don't like them any more than you do, but it's a necessary precaution. Um, they have to be here. We need to be looking for Black. And he was saying that he just met with some of the Dementors and that they're absolutely furious with Dumbledore because Dumbledore won't let them in onto the grounds. And McGonagall and Flitwick are basically like, duh, like we're professors here. Like, how are we supposed to teach with those? She calls them horrors. How are we supposed to teach with those horrors flying around? And Flitwick agrees. Like, how are they going to teach that when they, like, it's a little bit unreasonable. You know, I kind of get that. And they completely agree with Dumbledore and are on his side with that. And Fudge says, either way, like, the Dementors are here to protect us and hopefully catch Black because Black is crazy. Like, you guys know what he's capable of. And Madame Rosmerda says that she really has a hard time believing this because she remembers Sirius from when he went to Hogwarts. And she's saying that if you had told me back then what he was going to become, I would, I still wouldn't have believed you. And Fudge says, like, you don't even know the half of it. Like, the worst of what he has done isn't even widely known by many people. It's just a few at Hogwarts, a few in the ministry that know. And Madame Rosmerda is very curious all of a sudden. She was like, okay, like, worse than murdering all those poor people. And remember, that's what people think that Sirius did. They think that he murdered Peter Pettigrew plus those muggles out, like, in an explosion that, like, completely destroyed them, like only the finger of Pettigrew was left behind. But remember Peter Pettigrew, who is Scabbers, his animagus form, he cut off his finger to make it look as though he was like brutally destroyed in this murderous rage that Sirius Black supposedly did. That's not the case. It was Peter Pettigrew who did this. I wouldn't say it's a murderous rage that Peter Pettigrew had, but he was scared and he's a coward and he didn't want to get caught by Sirius or anybody else. So he did kill those muggles and chopped off his finger, turned into a rat, scurried off in the sewers or whatever, and made it look as though Sirius um, was the one who did this. However, Sirius, again, he didn't act like an innocent man. So that's why everybody um, thinks that Sirius Black did this horrible thing. But that's not the case. Either way, that is what people think the worst is, and that's what Madame Rosmerda is referring to. And McGonagall starts to explain what, like, this worst thing is, right? She's getting into the story. And she tells Madame Rosmerna, do you remember who his best friend was when he was at Hogwarts? And she says, of course, never saw one without the other. And 
she's saying it's James Potter. She's saying that they used to make me laugh the number of times that they were in here on their Hogsmeade trips. And this is news to Harry. This is brand new information to him, Ron, and Hermione. Harry, he drops his tankard when he hears this and it lands on the floor. He's already sitting on the floor underneath the table, but it lands on the floor with a loud clunk. So Ron kicks him. Kind of not the time to do like Ron. Like what if you kicked him really hard, hard enough to where he like elicited a sound of pain. Like he shrieked or something because it hurt. Like Ron, come on. You guys are trying to be like stealthy and hidden right now. But either way, that is pretty jarring news to hear. Like this, this supposed death eater and, and murderous guy who is after me and wants to kill me um, was best friends with my dad. So yeah, Harry, I kind of get him dropping his, his tankard there. And McGonagall is saying, remember how smart they were? Of course they were inseparable, but they were very smart, very bright. And she's saying that they were exceptionally bright. So these were really smart people. And remember, we know this already because of the Marauder's map. I explained this map that he, Harry got in the first part of this chapter. He... It was made by Harry's dad and Sirius and Lupin. Um, Pettigrew probably helped a little bit, but not enough. Like, he's, he wasn't smart like them. But, yeah, you have to be really, really exceptionally bright to make a map like that while you're in school at Hogwarts. Like, it wasn't like they were... I don't think they were, like, 7th or 6th year. I think they were, like, 5th years at the oldest when they made this, so 15-year-olds. So that's pretty good. Like, that's very smart. Also, they became anime guy when they were at Hogwarts. I believe it was the fifth year, their fifth year as well. And that takes like years of practice and discipline to do that. It's a very hard task to accomplish to become an animagus. So, you know, these are very bright people and that's what they're remembering. And then she also goes on to say, I don't think we've ever had a pair of troublemakers like these. And then Hagrid says, well, I don't know. Fred and George Weasley could give them a run for their money. And I just think that's so funny because guess who got the map? who were the next owners of the map. It was Fred and George, the next bit of troublemakers. So they have a very similar reputation to being rule breakers and troublemakers and mischievous like that. And they were so close. They were so inseparable that Flipwick says that you would have thought that they were brothers. They were that close. Like it was just like an inseparable bond is, you know, what they were thinking. And Fudge offers more information too. He's saying that James Potter trusted Sirius Black beyond all his other friends. And even when they graduated Hogwarts, they left school, he still like trusted him and he was still like a brother to him. And Sirius was the best man when James married Lily and they named him Godfather to Harry. Again, this is brand new information. This is news to Harry, Ron, Hermione. And this is jarring information, especially for Harry to hear. Like it, this is crazy. And is it talk about being in the right place at the right time to hear this information, but this is, this is what Harry is learning right now. So he's learned that James and Sirius, his dad and Sirius Black, the wizard that supposedly escaped Azkaban to come kill him, were best friends, inseparable, like brothers. And he was the best man at his parents' wedding. And he is his godfather. That's a lot of new and jarring information for him to learn right now. Fudge also says, Harry has no idea. I mean, he does now because he's hiding underneath the table listening. But he's telling Madame Rosmerna that he has no idea. And he's saying you can only imagine how that information would torment him. And I, I kind of agree with Fudge there. Not necessarily for the reason Fudge thinks. But basically, like, the idea does end up kind of tormenting Harry in a way. Like, it's, 
it consumes his thoughts and his moments and it makes him just hungry for revenge and everything like understandable but the i the thought the information that he learns here kind of does torment him in a way this man was his parents best friend um his dad's best friend the best man his godfather and he did all these things and madame rose murda says oh it's because um black turned out to be in league with you know who like to be his death eater that's why it would torment terry and fudge goes on to explain a little bit more he tells him um it's worse than that and i'm going to read what he says like these few sentences because i mean i either do that or i just kind of say to my own words which i can but i'm going to read what fudge says and then i'm going to explain it you know like how i do in this podcast so fudge as he's talking he drops his voice lower because you know they're in a public setting right now and he says not many people are aware that the potters knew you know who was after them dumbledore was of course working tirelessly against you know who and he had a number of useful spies one of them tipped him off and he alerted james and lily at once okay so this spy that alerted dumbledore was snape snape was very much a death eater when he when some of this stuff went down so i did explain a few chapters ago when we met professor trelawney for the first time that at her interview to um try to be a teacher at hogwarts like her job interview her and dumbledore met at the hogshead inn that's aberforth dumbledore who is albus dumbledore the headmaster of hogwarts right now that's his brother and so that's his inn the hogshead inn that's where trelawney and dumbledore met and she went into one of like her her trances um harry's gonna see one in a few chapters here basically where she speaks a prophecy that's what she went into like in one of those moments of hers and it was the prophecy that harry and voldemort like that whole thing that some that a boy born at the end of july to parents who had thrice defied the dark lord so that's voldemort and how neither could live while the other survives and how one has to kill the other that whole prophecy you know the whole reason that voldemort went after harry in the first place that is what trelawney did during her interview with dumbledore she had no idea she had no idea she didn't even know she like went into a trance she did not know and because she did that she said that prophecy dumbledore hired her so snape who was who was a death eater he's always been a death eater but snape was spying eavesdropping whatever during this time and he heard that prophecy and he told his master voldemort that prophecy and voldemort decided that it meant harry it meant harry potter it could have meant neville because neville was born to parents who thrice divide voldemort and who was born in july but voldemort decided to go after the potters that's who he deemed the prophecy was about harry potter and that's you know snape told him told voldemort so voldemort was like okay i'm gonna kill this baby and kill his parents snape who loved lily potter who had a crush on lily for like almost his whole life right um he knew voldemort was gonna go after them so snape told dumbledore like i pledge my allegiance to you i'll do anything you want but just hide them hide the potters hide them all like please like i don't want her to be killed Voldemort, he snape did ask Voldemort to to spare lily and not kill her and i did explain that um a few chapters ago because the voice that harry hears when he sees the dementors was his mom dying and he hears Voldemort telling her to step aside and he still kills her anyways but 
basically that is that information right there. Snape is the spy. That is how he knew about the prophecy. That's how Voldemort knew. And that's why Snape tips Dumbledore off. And that's why the Potters went into hiding. Okay. So the rest of what Fudge says, he says he advised them to go into hiding. Well, of course, you know who wasn't an easy person to hide from. Dumbledore told them that their best chance was the Fidelius charm. How does that work? Said Madame Rosemurda. Professor Flitwick cleared his throat. Remember, Flitwick is the charms professor. He's amazing at charms. So he's explaining the Fidelius charm right now. An immensely complex spell involving the magical concealment of a secret inside a single living soul. The information is hidden inside the chosen person or secret keeper and is henceforth impossible to find. Unless, of course, the secret keeper chooses to divulge it. As long as the secret keeper refused to speak, you know who could search the village where Lily and James were staying for years and never find them. Not even if he had his nose pressed against their sitting room window. So black was the Potter's secret keeper, whispered Na- Ma- Madame Rosemurda. Naturally, said Professor McGonagall. James Potter told Dumbledore that Black would rather die than tell where they were, that Black was planning to go into hiding himself. And yet, Dumbledore remained worried. I remembered him offering to be the Potter's secret keeper. He suspected Black, gasped Madame Rosemurda. He was sure that somebody close to the Potters had been keeping you-know-who informed of their movements, said Professor McGonagall darkly. Indeed, he had suspected for some time that someone on our side had turned traitor and was passing a lot of information to you-know-who. But James Potter insisted on using Black? He did, said Fudge heavily. And then, barely a week after the Fidelius charm had been performed, Black betrayed them, breathed Madame Rosemurda. He did indeed. Black was tired of his double agent role. He was ready to declare his support openly for you-know-who. And he seems to have planned this for the moment of the Potter's death. But... As we all know, you know who met his downfall in Little Harry Potter. Power's gone, horribly weakened, he fled. Okay, so I have a bit more to unpack and explain there. So, Flitwick, of course, being the expert, explains that Fidelia's charm. And that is important because the Fidelia's charm, like Flitwick did explain, is where you, it's the magical concealment of information inside a chosen person. That chosen person is known as the secret keeper and the information that secret that the secret keeper has is they it is not found by anyone it's impossible to find unless some that secret keeper chooses to divulge that information so if the secret keeper doesn't talk they don't say anything they refuse to give the information then that information will never be found and The secret that that secret keeper had was the location of where the Potters were hiding. It was in Godric's Hollow. So the location, I guess you could say their address, you know, location, whatever, um, that that was the secret that the secret keeper had that was hidden with the Fidelius charm. And so everyone thinks that Sirius Black was the Potter's secret keeper, that he had the information and that he, like the location of where the Potters were hiding and that he gave like chose to divulge that information, giving it to Sirius Black and there, or sorry, giving it to Voldemort. (laughs) And therefore that's how Voldemort knew where to find the Potters. And that's how he killed them. That's where he met his downfall with little Harry. And that is also how 
Sirius Black betrayed the Potters because he gave that information to Voldemort. This is not the case. The, the secret keeper was not serious. It was Peter Pettigrew. Remember, Peter Pettigrew, a.k.a. Scabbers, the, you know, the marauder, all of this, the friend of the Potters or whatever. He was the one who was the secret keeper. So that's where I'm, like, disputing this right now, kind of telling you guys what actually went down, what actually happened. So James told Dumbledore that Black would rather die than tell where they were. And he was right. They all think he's wrong. They all think that Black was a Death Eater and he told Voldemort where he was hiding. It's, that's not the case. Peter Pettigrew was the one who was a Death Eater and he divulged that information. And I have talked about this before on the podcast because I talked about it a little bit in the first book because, um, you know, it's the connections you make and everything. So James Potter telling Dumbledore that Black would rather die than tell where they were. That's correct. He would rather die. And he even says this later on in the books that he would rather die than betray his friends because that's the bond that they had, right? They were like brothers and he loves Lily. Like they were all best friends. Like he would rather die than betray them. So that part is correct. And the part that Black was planning to go into hiding himself, that is also correct because the Death Eaters, you know, word gets out, Voldemort would know that Sirius Black was so close to the Potters that they're going to choose him to be the secret keeper, that they're, that if anyone knows where they're hiding, it's going to be him. So that's why he was going to go into hiding himself. And everyone thought that Sirius Black was the secret keeper. Everyone thought that. Something else that's true about what McGonagall is saying right now is that Dumbledore did offer to be the secret keeper as well. And that's, that's also true. But... Everyone, like all the Order of the Phoenix, everybody, they thought that, so the Potters, they did tell Dumbledore no, like, no, it's okay, no thanks, whatever, that he wasn't going to be the secret keeper, and that they all decided it was going to be Sirius Black. But it was Sirius, Sirius's own idea, like, I'm telling you, no one knows this. Dumbledore doesn't know this. Lupin doesn't know this. The Order of the Phoenix doesn't know this. No one knows this except for James and Lily, and Lily Potter, who are now dead, Sirius Black, and Peter Pettigrew. So it was Sirius's own idea to change the secret keeper. He was like, it's going to be too obvious for me. You know, I'd rather die than give up the secret. I wouldn't betray you like that. But let's make the secret keeper someone who is not going to be obvious, someone who wouldn't think would have the secret. So it was his idea to change it to Peter Pettigrew. That was his idea to make him the secret keeper. And so Lily and James agreed. They're like, oh, he'd never betray us either. He loves us. We're friends, right? Not the case. Peter Pettigrew was a Death Eater already at that point. And he, you know, he was like, yeah, sure, give me the secret. And this was perfect. This got him up even higher with Voldemort. He was like, yes, I'm going to do this. And so because he had that secret, he was the only one who was able to divulge the information. So he, him, Peter being a Death Eater, was the one who went to his master Voldemort and told him, here is the location. Here's the secret. Now that he told Voldemort the location, Voldemort now knows the secret. And he can now find them. That is how he found them. And that is how he killed them. So like, this is so insane. Like I've known this for years and years and years, like, because this book has been out since, let me check the um, exact year. Cause I sometimes get these years mixed up. Okay. 1999. And the first time I read this book was I believe 2004 was the year, I, the first time I read this book, and it is now 2023, so almost 20 years later, and no matter how many times I've read this book, 
I am always so like shocked and just enthralled at this backstory. Like who has the mind to come up with this? It is so cool. This backstory is insane. And there's so many, it's so genius. There's so many like different parts to it and just so many layers, but so Sirius Black was not the secret keeper. He is not the one who betrayed his friends. It is Peter Pettigrew. So everything that they, everyone thinks about Sirius Black right now being a death eater and betraying his friends. No, it was, it's all Peter Pettigrew. They have the wrong man. And it was barely a week after the Fidelius charm that Voldemort came and killed them. So Peter, you suck like a week, like you suck in general, but seriously, like not even a week later, probably like this probably included travel time on Voldemort's behalf. So like a few days after he was secret keeper, he made them or he made Voldemort aware of the location and betrayed his friends. And I'm going to read another little bit here then explain it. So this is Fudge still explaining, you know, about how um, Voldemort was now gone, horribly weakened, he fled, and then he's talking about Sirius Blackmore. And this left Black in a very nasty position indeed. His master had fallen at the very moment when he, Black, had shown his true colors as a traitor. He had no choice but to run for it. Filthy, stinking turncoat, Hagrid said so loudly that half the bar went silent. Shh, said McGonagall. I met him, growled Hagrid. I must have been the last to see him before he killed all of them people. It was me what rescued Harry from Lily and James's house after they was killed. Just got him out of the ruins, poor little thing, with a great slash across his forehead and his parents dead. And Sirius Black turns up on that flying motorbike he used to ride. Never occurred to me what he was doing there. I didn't know he'd been Lily and James's secret keeper. Thought he'd just heard the news of you-know-who's attack and came to see what to do. White and shaking he was. And you know what I did? And this is in all caps. I comforted the murder and traitor, Hagrid roaring. So he's shouting right now. And McGonagall's telling him, Hagrid, keep your voice down. And then Hagrid says, how was I to know he wasn't upset about Lily and James? It was you-know-who he cared about. And then he says, give Harry to me, Hagrid. I'm his godfather. I'll look after him. Ha. Huh? But I'd had my orders to Dumbledore, and I told Black no. Dumbledore said Harry was to go to his aunt and uncle's. Black argued, but in the end he gave in. Told me to take his motorbike to get Harry there. I wouldn't need it anymore, he says. I should have known there that something fishy was going on then. He loved that motorbike. What was he giving it to me for? Why wouldn't he need it anymore? Fact was, it was too easy to trace. Dumbledore knew he'd been the Potter's secret keeper. Black knew he was going to have to run for it that night. Knew it was only a matter of hours before the ministry was after him. But what if I'd given Harry to him, huh? I bet he'd have pitched him off the bike halfway out to sea, his best friend's son. But when a wizard goes over to the dark side, there's nothing and no one that matters to them anymore. Okay, so now I have some more explaining to do for that part. And I, if you didn't understand why before, you do now, why I wanted to make this episode two parts, because this chapter just, like, there's just so much to unpack, right? So a few things here about what Hagrid said. I'm going to explain this. So, you know, Hagrid's all outraged. He's also drinking right now. He Remember, he's upset about the whole Buckbeak thing. Like, there's a lot going on. But remembering all of this right now, it's also making him very angry. And so he's saying that he was probably the last to see him before he killed all those people. That's probably true, except for Pettigrew saw him too. But Hagrid was probably the last one to see him 
before that life-changing event of him being arrested, besides the fact that his best friend just died. So Dumbledore sent Hagrid to go get Harry. You know, those were Dumbledore's orders um, after James and Lily were killed. So Harry, um, he got Harry from the ruins and that great slash on his forehead that Hagrid mentioned. That's the scar, of course, that Voldemort left when he tried to kill him. Sirius Black, tur- Sirius Black not bike, <laughs> Sirius Black turns up on his motorbike. So that's the motorbike he used to ride. It was a muggle motorbike that he enchanted, right? He did with magic, kind of like a Mr. Weasley type of thing. And Hagrid's saying, like, it never occurred to me what he was doing there. And he thinks that now he's like, oh, it's because he was like, he went to go see where his master had fallen, where his master had lost his powers or whatever. And he was all upset. No, it was because of James and Lily and Harry. He was very upset for that reason. Um, and Hagrid said he didn't know at the time that he had been the secret keeper. He wasn't. That was, it was Peter Pettigrew. Remember, no one knows except for the two pot, the James and Lily who are dead and Sirius and, Pet- and Peter Pettigrew are the only ones that know. And so Hagrid thinks he went to go see what he could do because he learned of the, like the, you know, whose attack, Voldemort's attack. Um, and at the time he thought that Sirius was really upset because of Lily and James. That's what Hagrid thought, or like that night. But, all, you know, once they found out Sirius was a traitor or whatever, he was thinking that Sirius was so upset because his master had um, fallen there. His master lost his powers, was fled, was gone, right? That's what Hagrid thinks that Sirius was so upset about at that part. And so Hagrid's like, you told me to give him to me. I'm his godfather. I'll look after him. And it's true. If that's what Siri, what's what Lily and James would have wanted. If, um, if they had died, they would probably always tell Sirius like, yeah, you're going to look after Harry if something happens to us. But Dumbledore said that couldn't happen because of the blood magic. I've explained that before. Um, basically Lily's blood, like Harry has to be watched by his aunt and uncle because his aunt Petunia has his mom's blood and the magic, the protection of Lily dying for her son, Harry. Like that means that until Harry turns of age, he needs to be living under the protection of his mother's blood, which is his aunt Petunia, basically. Um, Kind of like a long story. That's basically just a quick explanation of that. And Hagrid tells him, no, Dumbledore gave me orders to go back to his aunts and uncles. And in the end he gave in and he said to take his motorbike to um, get Harry. And he says he wouldn't need it anymore. And Hagrid's thinking that's something fishy. He loved that motorbike. Why would he give it to me? And then Hagrid's like, obviously it's because it's too easy to trace and he had to go on the run now. And that's not the case. Um, Basically, he gave it to Hagrid because it was just going to be easier for Hagrid to take that and go and everything. Um, But it's not necessarily that it was like too easy to trace. Remember, Sirius wasn't really on the run at that point because he hadn't done anything wrong, even though people would be led to think he did. Basically, he just gave it to Hagrid. Here, it's easy. Take this to, take Harry on this to his aunts and uncles. Um, and this is actually, this is what I mentioned in the very first episode of this podcast, episode one, discussing chapter one of the Sorcerer's Stone, the first Harry Potter book. Hagrid mentions, yeah, Sirius Black gave me this motorbike. I just saw him, whatever, when, when I went to go get Harry. So, this is mentioned chapter one of the first book. And then this character is introduced in the third book again. So this is like really cool, just insane, crazy, super cool connections and stuff. That motorbike, that motorbike is also used 
later on in the seventh book. So um, it's really cool. It, it takes Harry away from Privet Drive um, when he is about to turn of age. And it's, it's something that Hagrid says, like, um, I brought you here, like, on this motorbike when you were little, and now I'm taking you away from here on this motorbike. So it's like a full circle thing. So that motorbike is like a cool little thing. And also, this is something that should be in the Harry Potter show that is going to happen whenever that first episode comes out. The first episode should start, not necessarily start with this event, with Hagrid going to pick up Harry from um, the ruins of Godric's Hollow where his parents died. But this event, I think it should be in the first episode 100% because it's it's just so important. And if not the first episode, like if you're going to not show Harry at all in the first episode, you're just going to do a lot of backstory because you could do the first one, two, three episodes of just backstory, you know, giving all the information that the movies didn't provide. You could totally do that. But I don't think they'll do that. I'm sure they'll show Harry in the first episode in some way, like whether it's like him waking up at 11 years old to, you know, Dudley saying, we're going to the zoo, that whole thing, like it did in the movie. But I do think that this part should for sure be in that first episode because it, it's the first night they di- that his parents died. Like, not the first, it's the only night. But I mean, there's just so much to connect, like Sirius and then all this to now. And then in that, in the third book, in the third season, when they do this third book and the, this part, this scene, they could totally show flashbacks to what the viewers already saw in that very first episode. So I'm, I mean, if they're smart, they'll do that. And I'm sure... I'm sure like they're going to get some good writers on there and they'll show that this scene in the first episode of that TV series. Okay, I got a little bit more to read and then some more explaining. Almost done, but it's there's just so much to talk about. It's, it's so fun. I just love Harry Potter so much. You guys already know that, but I love explaining all this. So there's a long silence after Hagrid's story. Everyone's kind of taking all this information in. Then Madame Rosmerta says... But he didn't manage to disappear, did he? The Ministry of Magic caught up with him the next day. And Fudge says, alas, if only we had. He has like a bitter voice. He's upset. It was not we who found him. It was little Peter Pettigrew, another one of the Potter's friends, maddened by grief, no doubt, and knowing that Black had been this Potter's secret keeper. He went after Black himself. So this is not accurate. Um, Sirius found Peter. Not Peter didn't find Sirius. Um, Peter was not maddened by grief. He was hiding because Voldemort had just been defeated, his master. And now he knew that Sirius would be after him because Sirius was the only one who knew alive because Lillian James are dead. Sirius was the only one who knew that Peter Pettigrew was actually the secret keeper. So, you know, he was hiding from Sirius basically is what was going on. And, um, so it wasn't Peter maddened by grief that went after him. It was the other way around. Sirius maddened by grief and, you know, murderous rage for Peter went after Peter um, because he knew Peter was a secret keeper. Sirius was not a secret keeper. And Peter knew that Sirius was the only one alive who knew this information. And so Madame Rosmerta was like, Pettigrew, wait, that fat little boy who was always tagging around after them at Hogwarts? Professor McGonagall says, hero worshipped Black and Potter. Never quite in their league, talent-wise. I was often rather sharp with him. You can imagine how I how I regret that now. She sounded as though she had a sudden head cold. So this reminds me of Neville. Um, not necessarily that Peter is like 
on Neville's level because Neville is way better than Peter, of course. But I mean, McGonagall is, is really sharp with Neville. She really is. All the teachers are. Um, she's sharp with everyone, kind of. But you know what I mean? She's really hard on Neville. And this reminds me of Peter. She was really sharp on him, too. And they were both Gryffindors, both in her house. Um, and so now she feels bad because Peter was killed. Um, he wasn't. He's actually alive. But I mean, she feels bad about this. So first of all, don't regret that. Don't feel bad about that because he's terrible. She doesn't know that yet, but she shouldn't feel bad about it. Second of all, be nicer to Neville then. Like, don't be so harsh on him. Um, okay, and I do want to back up a little bit. Some things that I forgot to say that I wanted to say in regards to Hagrid's story. Hagrid's explanation of, like, Sirius's reasoning was pretty legit, honestly. Like, Sirius seemed upset, but it wasn't because of Lillian James. It was because his master was defeated. Um, he didn't want the motorbike because it would be easily traceable. Like, there's, it's a legit explanation. Um, it isn't true, of course, like I just explained, but it is, it's legit. Like, that is a really good explanation, and it all checks out. Like, all that reasoning checks out. Um, in Hagrid's mind and everyone else's, it makes sense to them because they don't know the truth. They don't know they have the wrong man in this, in their minds. Like, it's actually Peter that's, like, what they think Sirius is. Um, not so intense though, because Peter is all scrawny and cowardly and Sirius is not like that, but they do think that Sirius is the death eater and the betrayer and all that When In this case, it's, it's Peter, right? The little scrawny or I guess weak, um, timid, shy, little, um, dumb boy that they think it's not, that's not him, right? So it is Peter that was this case, but the reasoning between why Sirius is this man is is legit this makes sense they don't know the truth and they also think it's a good thing that Sirius didn't try to attack Hagrid or try to take Harry by force and so that's another thing where it's like well we're so glad that didn't happen because in their minds like this totally could have been something that happened so back to what Fudge is saying he's comforting McGonagall and he says there now Minerva Pettigrew died a hero's death eyewitnesses muggles of course we wiped their memories later told us how Pettigrew cornered Black. They say he was sobbing. Lillian, James, Sirius, how could you? And then he went for his wand. Well, of course, Black was quicker. Blew Pettigrew to smithereens. And McGonagall is saying, stupid boy, foolish boy. He was always hopeless at dueling. Should have left it to the ministry. And Hagrid says, I tell you, if I'd have gotten to Black before little Pettigrew did, I wouldn't have messed around with wands. I'd have ripped him limb from limb. And then Fudge says, you don't know what you're talking about, Hagrid. Nobody but trained hit wizards from the magical law enforcement squad could have stood a chance against Black once he was cornered. I was junior minister in the Department of Magical Catastrophes at the time, and I was one of the first on the scene after Black murdered all those people. I will never forget it. I still dream about it sometimes. A crater in the middle of the street so deep it had cracked the sewer below. Bodies everywhere, muggles screaming, and Black standing there, laughing, with what was left of Pettigrew in front of him. A heap of blood-stained robes and a few, a few fragments. And then Fudge's voice stops abruptly because, like, everyone's, like, blowing. It's like the sound of five noses being blown. And Fudge says, there you have it, Rose Myrta. Black was taken away by 20 members of the Magical Law Enforcement Squad, and Pettigrew received the Order of Merlin First Class which I think was some comfort to his poor mother. 
And Black's been in Azkaban ever since, of course, until he escaped. So again, a few things to explain here. So they all think that Black destroyed Peter, like not just like killed him, murdered him, like a just complete destruction, destroyal. I don't think destroyal is a word. A, a complete destruction of his body, like completely destroying it um, and killing all those muggles. And he says that there was Black standing with what remained of Peter in front of him, which was the finger that Pettigrew cut off to make it seem like Black destroyed him so bad that only a finger was left. No, this is just Peter cutting a finger off. That's why his rat form of scabbers is missing a toe because of that finger being cut off. And he's saying that Sirius was laughing like a maniac. Um, this is part of why people... Like, Sirius was not acting innocent. He did not act like an innocent man. And there's even parts in this book, too, where he doesn't act like an innocent man. Like, um, trying to get into Gryffindor Tower and getting so mad at the fat lady for not letting him through that he slashes her portrait. And, and this laughing, laughing like a maniac, right? This You're not acting innocent, Sirius. Of course people are going to believe this false story about you being this murderous, crazy person. And... He tells Harry, like, later on in this book that he was just laughing because he was just, that was his grief. He was in such shock and pain and hurt that he just couldn't believe that his best friends were gone. So, I mean, James and Lily being dead, but also Lupin. So they conveniently left Lupin out of the story. Lupin was part of that group, and they only mentioned James, Sirius, and Peter. Um, Remus Lupin, you know, the defense against the dark arts teacher right now, they left him out of the story. And I get that the author probably did that because, you know, it's part of the big reveal at the end, right? It's part of the mystery. But at this point, Sirius had lost, you know, James and Lily and Remus Lupin, his other friend, James, or sorry, Lupin and Sirius, they suspected each other. They each thought that the other was the betrayer. It ended up being Pettigrew, but they each thought that each other was the one who was the betrayer and everything. So that's why right now Lupin still thinks that Sirius is guilty, right? At this point. But another reason, like not only did he lose James and Lily, but he also lost Remus. He thought that Remus was like part of the bad side, part of the Death Eater on Voldemort's side. So that was, you know, that was part of it too. He felt like he lost that friend in this process. And also, um, Peter Pettigrew, he still cared for him. They were still friends and he ended up being the one to um, betray James and Lily and get them killed and get Harry in danger. So in this way, Sirius had lost all his friends. Two were dead. One was, he also thought Peter was dead, you know, because he faked his own death. And he thought Lupin was, Lupin was as good as dead to him. So Sirius right now in this moment, the lowest low him laughing like a maniac was his grief showing. He just couldn't control. You know, some people laugh in really bad situations. They can't control it. This is an example of like to the extreme. It's not just like you and your sibling, like trying not to laugh when your mom yells at you for something you guys think is funny. This is like an extreme example of, of this where he is just, he's laughing at the wrong time because that's his coping. Like he, he doesn't know what else to do. Like he can't help it. It's just his grief showing through. But to everyone else, to the muggles that were looking around, that looks like an insane, crazy maniac laughing at the deaths that just happened. Like, like a laugh that he like derived pleasure from this, this crazy, sad event. 
but that's not what it was. So that's what it looked like. Like he didn't act like innocent man because of the laugh. That's a big part of what they think. He wasn't innocent because he was laughing. Something else I'm going to address that was said here was the eyewitnesses, the muggles who all claim that Pettigrew cornered Black and he was sobbing Lily and James, how could you? And you know, how Black was quicker and, and smashed um, or blasted Pettigrew to smithereens. So Sirius does kind of explain this later on too, that like he was yelling random stuff and, you know, getting everyone to kind of question what, what they were seeing, whatever, right? Um, basically, like some, some like theories are that the Pettigrew like confunded the muggles, um, like he tricked them and confunded them, you know, there's confundish charm he could have done at some point. And the ministry, they never bothered to clarify any facts. They didn't do any proper investigations with many, many things, many deaths throughout the series. We've seen, we'll see that later on in like the sixth and actually the fourth book with Frank Bryce and the sixth book too, especially. But basically they didn't really do a thorough investigation. They didn't put Sirius on trial. They could have given him Veritaserum. That's a truth telling potion. The, you know, there's ways to like combat it too, but still like you could, they could have done that. They could have done a lot more and done more of an investigation. However, like they didn't, they didn't do that. They could have done Priorian Cantatum, which is basically like you see the last spell that, um, that wand cast and they would have known that Sirius never did that and that like it wasn't true but the ministry didn't do that they sent Sirius straight to Azkaban for life high security prisoner with no trial nothing not at all so and also Dumbledore himself gave information testified that I don't know if he testified, but he did tell the ministry that Sirius was a traitor because Dumbledore thought he was a secret keeper. Remember, Lily and James didn't tell anyone that they changed secret keepers. Only Sirius and Peter knew. So lots of, see, there's just so much. I love explaining all this because it's just insane, all this information. But like the ministry didn't do a thorough investigation and it's very possible that, um, Peter did confund the, he confunded the muggles with like a spell at some point and Peter and Sirius just didn't notice and him yelling, um, Sirius, James, Lily, how could you? That was all for show. That was all for show. And it, it helped Peter in that case, because the muggles were like, we heard him say this. And that just told the ministry like, okay, Sirius, like you are not innocent. Like, you know, th this whole thing. So it, it added to that false narrative. So last, um, bits of reading here. Madame Rosmerna asks, is it true he's mad, minister? I wish I could say that he was, said Fudge slowly. I certainly believe his master's defeat unhinged him for a while. The murder of Pettigrew and all those muggles was the action of a cornered and desperate man. Cruel, pointless. And again, this, the murder, it's not. The murder of Pettigrew and the muggles. Peter Pettigrew is the one who faked his own death and is the one that murdered those muggles. And, um... He is true in saying that's the action of a cornered and desperate man, cruel, pointless. That is true. It is the action of a desperate cornered man, but it's not serious. That's not the man. It's Peter. He's the one that did this. And then um, Fudge says, I met Black on my last inspection of Azkaban. This was um, in the summertime. This is now December. So this was like um, July, August that, that he's talking about. You know... Most of the prisoners in there sit muttering to themselves in the dark. There's no sense in them. 
but I was shocked at how normal Black seemed. He spoke quite rationally to me. It was unnerving. You'd have thought he was merely bored. Asked if I'd finished with my newspaper. Cool as you please. Said he missed doing the crossword. Yes, I was astounded at how little effect the Dementors seemed to be having on him. And he was one of the most heavily guarded in the place, you know. Dementors outside his door, day and night. So another few things to talk about here. Um, so Fudge wants to say he's mad. He's like, but I don't know if I can, honestly. But that's the story he's feeding to the wizarding world, that he is a madman, that he was insane in Azkaban and everything. But he can't honestly say, like, in the company of these people, that he is honestly mad, that Sirius Black is mad and insane, because that's not the impression that he got. So I did talk about this, like, in the first chapter, because Sirius Black saw this newspaper, and I explained all this already, but basically, long story short, Sirius Black asked Fudge, like he talks about here, if he could have his newspaper because he wanted to do the crossword. He missed doing that. And in that newspaper, the Daily Prophet, on the front page, was the clipping. Remember when Harry um, received the birthday card from Ron and it was that clipping of, yeah, my family won this trip to Egypt and it was a picture of the whole family and Scabbers was there on his shoulder. Sirius saw that picture. He saw Scabbers there. He knew, he recognized that instantly as Peter Pettigrew. He knew that is Peter Pettigrew. That is his animagus form. And he's like, this is, this guy is still alive. He faked his own death. And I'm going to come after him. And that's what gave Sirius the will, the motivation to escape Azkaban. That's how he was able to escape. He saw Peter Pettigrew was still alive, hiding in his rat form and was like, okay, I'm escaping. I'm going to go kill him. That is why Sirius escaped. And he transformed into his animagus form, which is a dog. He was so skinny from being in prison for 12 years that he just fit right through the bars the Dementors didn't sense him because they don't sense animals. And um, basically, he just, he left and he swam in the sea to safety. Or he escaped through the sea and swam or whatever, his doggy paddle. That is how he escaped. And some people think that he should have escaped earlier if he could have just waited to get skinny and been an animagus form, his dog form. Um, yes, he could have done that, but he didn't have the motivation. He didn't have the willpower. He probably should have for Harry. Um, but he didn't. And part of it is because he didn't think that Peter Pettigrew was alive. He thought that he really was dead. He thought that that explosion that Peter Pettigrew did killed not only Peter, but the muggles around him. He thought that he, it was like a murder-suicide, right? That's what Sirius thought. But seeing him alive on Ron's shoulder in that um, Daily Prophet, when Fudge gave him the profit for the crossword puzzle, he was able to escape. That was his motivation that he needed. And so Fudge explaining to them I was shocked at how normal Black seemed because he spoke rationally and it was he was so normal that it was unnerving. Like, it was creepy. Like, in Azkaban, those prisoners go insane. They're mad. Like, the Dementors just mess with them so much. Like, they're muttering to themselves. They are, kind of, they are crazy. But the fact that Sirius Black wasn't, unlike all the other prisoners there, it would, that was what was creepy. It was unnerving because he was so normal and so calm. And Sirius explains later on in this book, the reason that I think the Dementors didn't completely destroy me in there is because I knew that I was innocent. Sirius and Peter are the only ones alive right now and at that time for the last 12 years that know that he is innocent, right? They're the only ones that know that. Um, I will say even Snape, like he thinks 
he didn't even know that Sirius was a Death Eater. Sirius wasn't a Death Eater, but that's what everyone thinks. So all the Death Eaters were like, I had no idea that guy was a Death Eater. Like, he was best friends with James Potter. Like, that's messed up. That's what everyone thinks, right? Literally, the only people alive right now that know are Peter and Sirius. They're the only ones that know Sirius is innocent. So the fact that Sirius was innocent is what he held on to. It's what um, allowed him to stay sane. It's what allowed him to hold on to himself. That's the only reason he wasn't driven mad by the Dementors, because everyone else pretty much is. Sirius was not. I mean, Hagrid, when he went to Azkaban two times, he wasn't, and part of that is because he's a giant, and or half-giant, and the second part of that is because he knew he was innocent as well. That's what he held on to, and that allowed him to, um, you know, like hold on to himself and not completely lose his mind like so many of the other prisoners, especially because he was a high-profile um, prisoner, like high security, like dementors, like 24 seven outside his door. Like they were always there. So that's why Fudge is saying he was so astounded by the fact that he was so calm, so normal at how the dementors were like rarely having an effect on him. That's basically what is so unnerving here. And Madame Rosmerta says, but what do you think he's broken out to do? Good gracious minister. He isn't trying to rejoin, you know, who is he? I dare say that is his eventual plan, said Fudge evasively, but we hope to catch Black long before that. I must say, you know who alone and friendless is one thing, but give him back his most devoted servant, and I shudder to think how quickly he'll rise again. And Sirius isn't a Death Eater in the first place, but Peter Pettigrew, I wouldn't say that he is Voldemort's most devoted servant. He went to Voldemort because that's where the power was. Um, that's where the security was, like a place for him was, even though he had that with James and Sirius and Lupin, but you know, Peter's dumb, but it's still, I wouldn't say that Peter is Voldemort's most devoted servant. He didn't do it out of like care and love for Voldemort. He did it out of fear. Same with the fourth, well, I wouldn't say he betrayed Lily and James out of fear for Voldemort, but once he was a Death Eater, he knew, like, I'm the secret keeper. I have to tell Voldemort. I have to tell my master. He was scared of Voldemort. He was scared of Lily and James. He's just a coward all over the place, right? He was scared of Sirius. Like, he's scared of everyone. He's just, he's such a, not a true Gryffindor. But I would say um, Voldemort's most devoted servant would probably be Bellatrix, um, even though she's still in Azkaban at this point, and she will be until the fifth book. Bellatrix, fun fact, related to Sirius Black. She's his cousin, and she's actually the one who kills him. But back to Pettigrew real quick with the most devoted servant part. The reason that Voldemort is, in fact, back in the fourth book, he's back to power, back to a body and everything. That is because of Peter Pettigrew. After the events of this book, um, when he escapes, which I'll discover in like, what is it, like 17 chapter 17 or 18 so in like um probably like in 10 more episodes or so is when i'll be at that part in this book depending on how many part twos i do for chapters but anyways after the events of this book peter Pettigrew does flee and he goes and he finds voldemort and helps to bring him back to power but he goes to voldemort because he knows like he's on the run now and he's like i have to go to the one place where i'll be able to have some sort of um well i won't be like taken to Azkaban or I won't be, you know, whatever. Like he's going to Voldemort out of fear, not out of like respect and, and want for his master. He's going out of fear. And because this is the only place where I won't be like brutally killed, probably, you know, he can, Voldemort won't hesitate to kill his own death eaters if he needs to. But 
um, basically it's Peter's going to him because he knows like my master is weak right now. Like I can help him out, you know, with what I can, but he'll see that I'm his devoted servant, but it's not his most devoted servant. However, he is very useful for Voldemort. Um, of course, 12 years ago when he told them the location of the people he wanted to kill. And also in this, in the next book, in the fourth book where he helps to bring him back to power. So they're all silent for a little bit. And after a little bit, McGonagall says, you know, Cornelius, that's Fudge's first name. If you're going to be dining with the headmaster, we better head back up to the castle. So, cause he's going to have dinner with Dumbledore. And so one by one, they all stand up and you hear the swishing of cloaks and you see the, the hem swinging out of sight. And Madame Rose Murda goes back behind the bar, going back to work. And the door of the three broomsticks opens again and they hear the snow and all that, right? So that's like kind of setting the scene of just, those are the only noises right now besides like the heartbeats that the hearts are racing right now. Ron, Hermione, and especially Harry. This information is absolutely insane. So as soon as the teachers disappear, the door closes, Ron and Hermione's faces appear underneath the table and they're like, Harry, and they're both staring at him, lost for words. Like I have chills right now because I can't even imagine. Of course, this is a story. It's, you know, it's a book, but all this information, learning this information is just absolutely insane. It's harrowing. This is traumatizing. You know, this is a lot to learn. And the fact that these people know this information about Harry's past and how his parents were portrayed and the person who's supposedly after Harry and Voldemort, like all this stuff, and no one's told him. I mean, of course, they think he's like too young or whatever, and they think that he can't handle it and everything, knowing that information. But for Harry to find this out this way in a public place like this, this, and of course, they thought no one was around, but still, like... And of course, plot convenience, you know, they have to find this out at some point. But this is a lot to learn for Harry, especially, but also Ron and Hermione. They're like, oh my gosh, our best friend is just learning all of this. We're all learning it, the three of us together right now. Like, and they can't react necessarily because they're hiding. They can't make noises. Like there's, there's so much going on right now. And again, not the best place to hold this information, but also I kind of think like, why are you telling Madame Rose Murda? She doesn't work for the ministry. She's not really part of the order. I mean, Dumbledore does, she does help Dumbledore with some stuff at some points, you know, cause she's in the Hogsmeade and everything, but still like what, what, why did you tell her? Like again, plot convenience, but it's a little interesting to me. And they would have never imagined that Harry would be there listening, especially because he's not supposed to be in Hogsmeade because he doesn't have permission. And they wouldn't imagine Ron Hermione to be there hearing all this, of course. So, but man, like what a story. I mean, it is so twisted in so many ways and a little convoluted. I mean, I hope I explained it in like a concise or not concise. I know it wasn't concise, but I mean, like in a good way to um, help those who may not have understood before, like maybe you understand now, but it's so, it's so twisted. I mean, amazing to think this up. JK Rowling's imagination is insane. Like this whole backstory, it's crazy. It's the only things that are correct about Sirius is that it's, he's the best friend. He's the best man. He's the godfather. And he would have rather died to betray his friends. They think that didn't happen, but it's true. He would, he would have done that, you know? Um, it's literally the wrong man. They think that Sirius was a secret keeper that he was the servant to Voldemort. And that's not the case. It was Peter. 
And I think that Sirius brutally murdered Peter and um, killed those muggles. That's not the case. It was Peter who murdered those muggles and his attempts to escape with that explosion. And he cut off his finger to fake his death. Like it is, this story is insane. Um, I watch Harry Potter like all the time, like all the movies and stuff. Um, some more than others, but Prisoner of Azkaban, of course, I've been watching a lot lately, and it's always been one of my go-to Harry Potter movies. But it makes me want to watch it even more, even though you really don't get this depth of information. But still, like reading it right now and going through this, my notes for this episode, and recording it, like I just, oh, I love this story so much. And every time I like go through this and explain it and read this part and everything, it's just even. Like, I'm always so shocked at how, like, twisted and, and crazy and convoluted it is, but, like, in a good way, because it's just such a great backstory. I mean, it's insane, and it's so important for stuff in the past. Like I mentioned in the first book, the first chapter, Sirius Black and the motorbike, and then we see the motorbike in the seventh book, and Peter Pettigrew, who is important in this book, he's important in the fourth book, in the seventh book. There's so many, like, connections from this one chapter, um, in the part one of this chapter, like for the episode part one, um, there was still a lot, like with the Marauder's Map, learning about that. Again, that's Peter, that's Sirius, that's James. And then in part two of this um, chapter episode, we still learn more about them. Like, it's crazy. Again, Remus Lupin was left out of um, <laughs> this information. But, like, you know, I think that is more plot convenience than everything. There needs to be some sort of, like, a little bit of a mystery and stuff like that. But... It's just so cool. There's so much information. It's so good. I love it. Um, thoroughly enjoyed this chapter, of course, um, and recording this episode and episode before that. Like, I will never get tired of talking about Harry Potter. That's why I made this podcast. And this book, just it just keeps getting better and better. So good. Even though I've read it so many times, I already know everything that's going to happen. But I just, it's so good. So I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. Um... Next week, I'm going to be discussing chapter 11 of Harry Potter and Prisoner of Azkaban, and that is titled The Firebolts. That's chapter 11. So you guys can email me at the Heiress of Slytherin podcast at gmail.com. Twitter is at Slytherin pod. Facebook page is the Heiress of Slytherin podcast. You can donate to this podcast or leave voice messages on the Anchor link. You can also listen through Anchor. And this podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Anchor, Pocket Casts. And make sure you guys read Chapter 11, The Firebolt, for next week's episode. It's just going to keep getting better. I'm so excited. Thank you for listening to The Heiress of Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Ella, your host.